I'd like you to open your Bibles this morning. We're going to be in the New Testament book of Acts as we're continuing a sermon series called Devoted. And it's in this sermon series that we're looking at the early church, the first church in Jerusalem that formed about 50 days after about 50 days after Christ's ascension and after uh, or after his uh, death on the cross, uh, Pentecost, we have this movement that is starting to form this early church on the outskirts of Jerusalem. This church and their life together has been an example for many churches that have been formed and us as a young church, as a church plant, it's important to look at the churches in the Bible and how they were formed and use the model as we work on growing our congregation and growing our depth in our community and growing our devotion to Christ. We know that there were thousands of people that would have made up this church in a very short amount of time. And we also notice that something that this church had was devotion. They were devoted to each other in fellowship. They were devoted to serving. And they were devoted most of all to the deep teachings of Jesus Christ and to following the instructions of our Lord and Savior. As a church, we look to mimic the qualities and the attributes and behaviors of this first church in order to grow in our devotion and so far over the last few weeks we've looked at the devotion of this early church and we've looked at it from a corporate level what this church does together this church fellowships together this church comes together to follow christ together and, and we've seen that the church comes and serves together but now we're going to start diving in a little deeper and seeing that their devotion was more than simply corporate. The devotion of the church became an individual responsibility. We can certainly say that as a community of believers and as a church, we need to be devoted to each other. But in order to be devoted to each other, we individually need to be devoted to Jesus. Amen? It doesn't matter what a church does if the individuals are not living fruitful lives, if we're not being obedient. A church can do great things but can still hide the iniquities and hide the issues of the people that are in the pews, right? We're seeing that right now again in the news, nationwide, worldwide, we're seeing uh, a, a large amount of news that is coming out uh, about the, those some on the East Coast in the Roman Catholic Church. And this isn't the first time that we've seen it. And it will happen. It can happen again. And it can happen in any particular church. But what happens is when, you, when you're doing corporate all the time and you're not focusing on individual, things can slip by, right? The church is made up of individuals that grow so that the church itself can grow. Every member of the church is important. And every the growth of every member is so important. There's no pastor in the world that is going to stand up 
and come to church and stand up in, in, in front of his congregation and adjust his halo and sit here and preach to an entire church full of angels who just flew in with their amazing wings and are playing our little harps, right? This is not, it's not a place where, where we come together. It's not, not a house full of halos, but it's a, it's a hospital for souls. That's what we come together for, is so that we as individuals can be healed. It's not simply because a pastor says that we need to, to follow the directions of the Bible. We come because this is where our soul gets healed. And with healing souls, that's how a church can move into a community that is hurting to help heal souls. The Bible, it clearly has a purpose. It clearly has a plan and a path for each person as we walk our road of healing together. Many of the Bible's teachings are very, very specific. They're so specific that they're not open to interpretation by our modern world. Our world likes to read the Bible, twist the words to something that will fit, and then live it out that way, right? The Bible doesn't leave us that interpretation. It doesn't leave us the opportunity to do so. It demands that if you and I are going to grow closer in Christ, that we must be obedient to the words of Jesus. You see, throughout the Bible, we see that obedience to God's word brings blessings. We see that time and time again. And we also see that disobedience to God's word brings disaster. Look at marriages that operate under a authority of selfishness and disaster that comes from that. Look at workplaces that, that operate under, a, under a, a corporate structure of shareholders and profits and see what has become of that. Living by God's rules brings God's blessings because he's not only made the rules, he has created the outcome and the path to get there. We can see, clearly see that as a church, we must have deep devotion to biblical obedience. And as individuals walking this road that Christ has put us on, we must have individual and personal devotion to biblical obedience. It's not simply because the pastor says we need to follow what the Bible says and comes up here and teaches a new Bible trick every week. That's not why. It's because God said, I want you to live by these rules and I'm going to bless you for it. And in our world, what that means is I want you to live by these rules and you're not going to fall into traps that the rest of the world is falling into because they want to go their own path. I'd ask you to open your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 22 through 39 in a message that I have titled, Trust and Obey. At this time in Acts, the 
in the church. The apostles have been preaching and they've, on more than one occasion, they've been arrested and threatened for their faith. And in Acts chapter 5, verse 17, we see that the high priests have become very frustrated with the apostles and they've tossed them in prison. They've tossed them in jail. And at night, an angel came and he opened the door of the jail and he told the apostles, I want you to go to the temple and I want you to tell people about Jesus. And so the next day when the high court, when the priests are coming together and, and they want to have court and they're going to talk about sentencing the apostles, they sent the guards to the jail and they said, hey, go get the guys, bring them to court. The guards come back and say, hey, they're not there and the doors are wide open. So the high priests are getting upset, they're getting frustrated, and all of a sudden somebody comes from the temple and says, hey, those guys that you put in jail, they're at the temple teaching people about Jesus right now. The high priest, they said, hey, go and, go and get them and bring them in. And so they bring them in back into the court. We're going to pick up the action here in verse number 27. And Luke writes, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priests asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and your intent to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles, they answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree, him, God has exalted him to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to those things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obeyed him. See, the disciples just told the religious leaders that Jesus now holds the privilege of being the authoritative power over the lives of Christians. They had to step up and tell people the old way, mm -mm, we're following Jesus. And that means we're going to follow the rules of Christ. Now, they're not telling the rulers that we're not going to live under a government. They're not saying that. They're not saying that we're not going to follow the laws of the land. But what they're saying is God's rule is where we're going to obey. We need to follow God and not man. It was the command of Jesus that the apostles were now going to relinquish authority to the words of Christ. See, the apostles had a deep devotion to obedience. They had now lessons from Christ who they had walked with. And it was their job to take this message to the masses. And in order to do that properly, they knew, I need to live a life for Christ. That means I need to be obedient to what he has taught us. Point number one in your notes this morning. For those of you new with this for the first time, you'll find inside your bulletin, on the left-hand page is some fill-in-the-blanks. Those points are for you to follow. If you would like to, you can fill those in and keep notes on the sermon. Point number one, devotion to obedience is the pledge that believers make when they come to Jesus. 
Devotion to obedience, it's a pledge that as believers we make when we come to Jesus. The apostles had been given instructions from Jesus himself to go and make disciples in Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, into all the corners of the earth. We've read that five times. The Great Commission is given five times in the New Testament. They did not, the apostles did not have the authority to change the commandment and decide that they were going to go tell people in Jerusalem, maybe a couple of nearby cities, and that was it. They didn't have that authority. If they were going to follow Christ, they had to follow Christ and all of his instructions. And that meant to take the gospel everywhere. When Jesus called them from a boat, he called, he called James and John from a boat, he hollered out into the water and he said, follow me. And they had a choice. They could drop their nets and drop their ropes and they could follow Jesus or they could just keep fishing. But Jesus didn't say, hey, you know what? Um, when you guys are done there, why don't you come and hang for a couple of hours and then you can go fishing again. He said, I want you to follow me, right? They dropped everything. They were not given the option to be obedient when they felt like it or to twist the instructions to fit their personal theology and to, and, and, to, and to fit their personal lives, they were told, follow me. In John chapter 14, verse number 15, Jesus says this, If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus has told us that as followers of Christ, we need to be obedient. We need to be obedient to what he says. And you said, Pastor, you know, that's, 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 that's hard to do because there's some parts of the Bible that I'm okay with and there's some parts that I just struggle with. That, like, Pastor, that whole love your neighbor thing, I can, I can do that pretty well, but that loving and forgiving people who've wronged me, I struggle. Like, I just can't do that very well. And I'm telling you, I get it. It's not, it's not easy. But look what, look what Jesus says. We're in Matthew chapter 5. You don't have to turn there. It may be up on the screen. Chapter 5, verse 40 through 46, he says, But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Verse 46 for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same thing? The tax collectors were kind of the lowest form of folk in Jerusalem, right? He's saying even they can love people who love them. I want you to step above. This is a commandment. This isn't an option. Love your enemies. Jesus doesn't give us an opportunity to obey halfway. He doesn't ask us halfway. And you say, Pastor, why do I have to, why do I have to love my enemies? That's, that's hard. And the, sim the answer is simple and it's very blunt. Because Jesus told us to. That's why. 
We don't have to understand all the time. If we're to follow Jesus and grow as Christians, we must strengthen our devotion to obedience. That means that we're going to have to do things that are hard sometimes. It means that we're going to have to get out of our comfort zone. But that's what happens when we follow a leader is that we're going to be asked to do things that we're not always comfortable with. Some things that don't make sense all the time. I have deep respect for anyone who has served in the military. No matter what branch someone serves in or if you've served in the military, there is, there is a, a rule that people know about the military that there is a chain of command, right? There are people who are above, and there are people who are below. And the chain of command is very specific, and the instructions are very detailed. Those who are below don't have the option simply to disobey orders because they don't feel like it, right? It's, it's an understanding in the military that we must follow or they must follow simply because they are told. They don't have to ask why. If the command is a hundred push-ups, you just do it. You don't ask why, right? See, some of the instructions in the military are very specific. You know why? Because those in authority, they know that I need to give orders and I don't need to tell them why, but there are reasons. Because maybe it makes our soldiers stronger. Maybe it keeps our soldiers safe. Maybe it keeps them uniform. Maybe it gives them the upper hand in battle that they might not know, but the instruction is there and they don't have a right to not obey that instruction because those in authority see the big picture. If a soldier decides that he's going to start doing this military thing and the, and the drills the way that he likes to do it, you know what happens? Is that when he really needs to use that skill that he slacked on in training, you're going to have a weak soldier then, right? You're going to have somebody that doesn't get it because they weren't practicing, they weren't following the instructions. That's why the admiral does not give an option for soldiers to pick the rules they want to live by and to throw the other ones out to the side. They're there for safety. They're there for growth. They're there for development of the regiment, development of everyone in the military. You say, Pastor, well, that's a little bit, that's like, that's like in my face. I don't remember saying when, when I came to Jesus, I don't remember saying that I was going to follow all of the teachings of Jesus. I kind of figured that maybe I could get away just kind of glossing over the ones that I don't really like and taking in the ones that I do. I just thought that maybe that would work. And I know it's difficult that, that we feel, hey, we can't keep all of these commandments that Jesus gives us. And I'll be honest with you, yeah, sometimes it's hard. And we can't do it without help. We can't do it. 
assistance from God is actually built into this operation of obedience. Point number two in your notes this morning, if it's God's plan, he will pave the way if we're obedient. If it's his plan, if it's his direction, he's going to make sure that we have the power to do it. Matthew 7, 7 says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it will be open for you. James tells us that if anyone lacks wisdom, ask. Ask for wisdom. If you take a look at your bulletin this morning, you're going to find a list in there. There's about 50 commands that Jesus has given. There's more that Jesus gave throughout the Gospels, but, but these are about 50 commands that, that are relevant to us. And I know the command is rather short, and there's a scripture next to it. I promise you, everything on this list is given to us as a command, but there's also the tools to fulfill these commands that are available to us as well. As you read through them, you're going to see some of them are really difficult. You're going to say, wow, pastor, I struggle with this. And I know we've already talked about like loving your enemies and, and that one's hard sometimes. And then you get down the list and you'll see another command that says to fear not. Like, wow, that's hard. How, how, do, how am I supposed to... Like, not be fearful when I don't know how I'm going to get the bills paid. How am I not supposed to be fearful when I don't know, when I simply don't know what tomorrow looks like? Lord, I'm, I'm fearful, and you command me not to be fearful, and I don't know how not to be fearful. God has a tool for that. God has the ability for us to make it through these situations. When Christ gives us a command, he does give us what we need to, to fulfill that command. We know that the stronger that we are in our faith, the more of our life that we give to Christ, that means the less that we're depending on governing ourselves, right? You know when we're the most fearful? We're the most fearful when we're paving our own path. Because, see, we're not the ones who create paths professionally or for an entire people or for an entire planet. We're not creators. It's a little less fearful when you let the creator create the path and you ask him where you need to walk because he's in control, amen? See, if our life is to be lived according to God's plan and he's in control, that means we need to rely on him and to rely on the tools that he has for us. Imagine you're showing up at the first day of work at a new job. And you get to your new job. Let's say that you're, you took a new job as an accountant, okay? And you show up at work for your very first day and your new boss says, yeah, we are not providing you with a computer. We're not providing you with a calculator. We're not providing you with a ruler, scratch paper, a pencil, one of those number thingies that they used a long time ago. We're not providing you with anything. 
Wouldn't you be a little bit down now at your new job that they didn't provide you the tools that you needed to do the work? Like you have some experience, but you probably haven't done all this accounting math in your head or with tools that you bring from home. You would expect those type of tools to be able to get the job done. Just as your new boss would want you to be successful in the job he has for you, God wants us to be successful in the job that he has for us. That's why he's given us commands and he's given us tools. Your new boss would say, he would, he would tell us, you know what, on your first day, here's everything that you need I know it's going to be rocky right off the bat, but I just want you to give 100% and things will get better, right? As you train, as you go through this two-week training period, things are going to get better. I know it's not going to be perfect day one. I know there's things that you need to learn about this company. I know there's things that you need to learn about your job description, but I want you to give 100% every day. You know what Jesus says? He says, when you come to me day one as a Christian, I know that you're not going to know all this church stuff. I know that you're not going to know exactly how to pray or what to say. I know that you're not exactly going to know how to treat people, but I want you to give what? 100%. I want you to do your best and things will get better. That is training in our devotion to biblical obedience. That's our training to strengthen us as Christians. When it comes to the tools of our job, God has tools that we don't even know that he has. Like when you come to Jesus, he's going to provide you with, with, what, we, with what we need to be obedient. And, and sometimes we need to ask for it because we know that there might be an area of our life where we're struggling. Maybe it is forgiveness. You know what we need? That's time for prayer. That's when we're asking God, we're saying, God, can you go back in the tool shed and you can pull me out a jar of forgiveness because I'm having a hard time forgiving people who have wronged me. That's a tool that I don't have and I really need. And he has it for us. Or when we've said, God, can you bring me a, a, a cauldron of comfort because I am stressed out and I, I am fearing everything. Can you bring out that tool because I don't have it? He has it for us. Or when we're saying, God, can you bring just a, 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 a ladle full of loyalty because I am struggling to keep on your path and I need to be loyal to you. I need to be obedient to you. Can you help? He has a tool for that. There was a, there was a missionary woman named Arietta who had lived in a rural area of the country that she was serving as a missionary. And... One of her jobs was teaching the children. And so there was a lot of kids that would come up to her place on a regular basis. And one of them, she had given the English name Johnny. And she saw Johnny running one day through the fields towards her house. And she had just painted the handrails near the steps that led up to the back porch. And she yelled at him from the side of the house. And she said, 
Johnny, I want you to go around to the front of the house and come in the front way I just painted. And five-year-old Johnny said, okay, I'll be careful. And he kept running towards the house. She knew that he had a tendency to mess things up. And she said, Johnny, no, come around the front door. The, the paint on the porch is wet. And he yelled back, I'm going to be real careful coming up the back porch. And she yelled quickly, Johnny, stop. Don't come up the steps. I don't want you being careful. What I want is obedience. It's not carefulness that I'm after. It's not you taking the instructions and twisting them to fit. What I want is obedience, not simply carefulness. As those words came out of her mouth, she suddenly remembered Samuel's response to King Saul, who said it's better to, to obey than to sacrifice. She thought to herself and she said, how often am I like Saul or am I like Johnny wanting to go my own way? See, sometimes we rationalize and we tell God that we're going to be careful, we're going to proceed with our own plans, but we'll be careful. Is that what God's asked us to do? No, God doesn't want our carefulness. God wants our obedience. When Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, he didn't say that we have an option of obeying some of them and then obeying some of the world's commandments. Like, Pick some from each. That's not what he told us. In order to grow as followers of Jesus, we're going to have to give up in areas where we currently follow the world. Point number three in your notes this morning, being devoted to obedience will require sacrifice. Yes, to obey is better than sacrifice. But as Christians growing in our faith, and obedience, it's going to require us to give some things up to be obedient. Sometimes we've got to give up pride. That's hard, right? When Jesus tells us to let our light shine for him, he's not saying let your light shine for you. He's saying let your light shine for me. Sometimes it's our pride that we have to give up so that we could be less and Christ can be more. Sometimes we have to sacrifice our own personal possessions. Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21, Matthew writes, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. By this command, he's telling us that we're going to have to sacrifice some of our worldly possessions, some of our worldly lusts, some of the things that we cling to in this world. You remember, we can't serve two masters, can we? 
We can't serve a worldly master who tells us that it's okay to be selfish and also serve Jesus who tells us he wants us to be selfless. Luke chapter 9, Jesus says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his own life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? See, in order for us as Christians to grow deeper in our faith, to grow deeper in our devotion to obedience, something has to change right? We can't be obedient to the world and obedient to Christ at the same time. We can't hold on to resentment for other people and still love our enemies. We can't hold on to our pride and ego and still show Jesus to other people. We can't hold on to our financial resources and, and hoard them and then still give to God when he asks. We can't love Jesus all the way if we're only willing to be obedient halfway. Obedience is not something, however, that we are born with. We've got a sin nature, right? We are born with a sin nature. So what do we do? Obedience is something that we have to learn. It's something that we have to study we have to be willing to ask for training. The final point in your notes this morning, obedience takes practice. Obedience takes practice. In order to practice a new skill, we're going to need to take time. We're going to have to focus. We're going to have to put time aside to practice that new skill. It's understandable that we're not going to be 100% successful every time that we try and be obedient to the entire Bible, but that's where grace comes in. That's what grace is for, but it's our job to try. It's our job to practice. It's our job to pray for help. It's our job to measure our success. It's our job to grow, and it's our job to change for Christ. Matthew said in chapter 11, he said, I love this command. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And watch this. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest in your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It is our job to trust Jesus, to ask Jesus, and to obey Jesus. Finally, there's a story of a young dad and his daughter, and they had recently they had recently adopted a Great Dane, a very large dog, and they named the dog Samson. Samson was, as Great Danes are, a very strong and muscular animal. And 
Samson had a tendency to like to get out of the fence and go wandering the neighborhood and come home late, two days later, sometime. Dad and daughter would have to drive around the neighborhood and look for Samson. When Samson was home and when the door was shut, Samson was a great animal until the door was open. They tried using chains, but Samson was so strong, Samson would break the chains. They tried building a fence, and Samson would dig underneath the fence. So the father decided he was going to buy a book and start learning about this animal. And he bought a book by a famous English dog trainer named Barbara Woodhouse, who also raised Great Danes. And one night, after he had spent time reading and his daughter had spent time reading, he was tucking his daughter into bed and he had seen that she had a, a sad look on her face. And he said, he said, what, what, what's wrong? And she says, Dad, I know what Samson's problem is. And she took the book and she read this paragraph to her father. The author wrote this. In a dog's mind, a master to love and to honor and to obey is an absolute necessity. The love is dormant in the dog until brought into full bloom by an understanding owner. Thousands of dogs appear to love their owners. They welcome them home with enthusiastic wagging of the tail and jumping up. They follow them about the house happily. And to the normal person seeing the dog, this affection is true and deep. But to the experienced dog trainer, this outward show is not enough. The true test of real love takes place when the dog has the opportunity to go out on its own as soon as the door is open and the dog has a chance to leave and not return home for hours. That dog is a dog who only loves home for the comfort and attention that it gets from its family, but it does not truly love the master. True love in dogs is apparent when the door is left open and the dog still, still stays happily within an earshot of its owner. For the owner must be the be-all and the end-all in the dog's life. See, this is the real test of our Christianity. The real test, it isn't seen by our work or our activity or our theological purity. It's found in this. When we have the opportunity to wander and to disobey, to leave his presence, do we choose to stay close to him, to abide in him and to obey him? Or are we wandering this morning, I'd like, you to, I'd like you to take this handout that's in your bulletin. I'd like you to take it home with you. And I'd like you to look through these commands of Christ and highlight some of these that you see that it's time to start praying about. Those commands of Christ that we don't really naturally have the tools to fulfill. It might be fear not. It might be love your enemy. It might be give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. It might be come to me. 
but I'd ask you to take commands and start the practice of practice. We take commands that we're struggling with and we take them to the Lord and say, I know I need to follow you in this area and I'm asking for the tools to follow you in this area because I want to follow 100%. You didn't ask for 86. You didn't ask for 91. You didn't even ask for 99. I know that's what your grace is here for. And I don't have license to sin. That's not what our salvation is. But to grow closer to you, I want to make an effort to practice fulfilling these commands. If you would take that home. You don't have to put it on your refrigerator so everyone can see it and see where you're practicing. You can if you would like to. If that's the best place for it. If maybe it's in the mirror in the bathroom. Maybe it's someplace that you can create that as a reminder. That says, Lord, these are the areas that I know I need help in. And I bring them to you to help me in my devotion to obedience. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity for us to come together here today. And I want to thank you for... I want to thank you for the lesson that you've given us throughout your word, teaching us the importance of obedience. Lord, we know that your salvation just wraps us in your love and that we can spend an eternity with you, Lord. But in, in order for us to grow in our walk with you, we thank you for being there and helping us grow stronger, helping us grow closer helping us grow deeper. Lord, I ask for you to bless this family of believers today. And as we prepare to bring you your tithes and our offerings, I ask that you bless the giver, and I ask that you bless the gift that is, that is given, that it be used in this ministry and be used to reach others for Christ, used to bring other people home to you. Lord, I ask your hand and blessing on our members and friends and family who aren't here this morning. I ask for you to heal bodies and heal hearts. Lord, be with us as we give, be with us as we worship. We love you and we praise you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.